Unless you've made a serious mistake, you are currently listening to a free excerpt of the committee program with me, Arun Chaudhary. Our show contains lots more global politics, and you can become a member at fans.fm slash committee to receive our full YouTube show, audio, plus other exclusive content. That's fans.fm slash committee. And be sure to check out our YouTube show every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Namiki Konst YouTube channel. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to the committee program. I am your host, Arun Chaudhary. And today, we have a very special guest. Um, you know how we're bringing on folks who aren't just, um, you know, commentators and pundits on global politics, but also are practitioners. Today, we're taking that one step farther, and we're bringing in someone who is an academic expert on the job that committee actually does, which is, of course, making propaganda. So I want to introduce all of you to Emma Bryant, who is a professor of propaganda at American University in Washington, D.C., uh, who is going to shed some light on the actual study of what it all means. I think you're someone who we're going to be talking to a lot, so I was really excited to have you meet the audience. Uh, and also, you know, being that you're a doctor, it's also something very helpful for me to talk to as I go through, all of us go through a lot of things with COVID, you know, so I well, think that's very helpful. indeed, but that's a little outside of my expertise. <laughs> oh, you're just, you're just Not being modest. I mean, a professor and a doctor, I think it's very impressive. So, uh, the first thing that I want to ask you is, so you call yourself a professor of propaganda, right? I'm sure it has different names, might be in the communications department, maybe sure. poli-sci some places. Uh, but w what do you mean by that? Talk to us about it. Well, at the moment, I'm teaching um, a communication uh, course at American University as an adjunct, but I do all sorts of different um teaching and research around the subject of propaganda, which is like the deliberate activities in the communication sphere to try to influence our behaviors and attitudes and opinions and emotions. Uh, so it, within that research- I mean, we just want you to vote for people on the center left. I mean, is that like, you know, that's all, that's all we're asking. Well, actually it-, it The left, not the center left, the left left. <laughs> it spans a range of different activities though some of the spookiest stuff done by our intelligence agencies for example and uh, governments is quite interesting and that's an area of my particular expertise but yes also politics and the kind of thing that you sometimes do um, but I'm really interested in ethics so I look at kind of uh, the the really dirty end of, of, of propaganda where uh, people might be abusing data regarding you know personal uh, aspects of our you know mental health our personalities uh, and weaponizing that to advantage them in a, in um, a campaign so some of the kind of tactics that people use can be really kind of dodgy and that's the really interesting stuff and that's the stuff people try to hide um, so that is the kind of thing that I'm always trying to uh, analyze and research for my work. 
Well, I mean, let's get specific on it and use Cambridge Analytica as an example, because number one, that's something that you know a lot about. Uh, you were involved in the great hack in the uh, in the movie. Um, and it's also something that we have had disagreements on uh, when we talk. So I would definitely love to break that down before we move into the ethics. And, you know, you can tell me that I'm not a bad person and all of the uh, things that you well, do in your other job that. as a doctor. <laughs> But talk about Cambridge, what what actually did Cambridge Analytica do and what did they do with what they did? Okay, so they had this ocean methodology, which was a personality test, which they applied to uh, Facebook data and the kind of things that people like and uh, in their Facebook profiles. They um, worked with... Um, researchers from Cambridge University to gather data from Facebook, uh, which was harvested without consent. Um, and Facebook apparently knew more than they had admitted, they admitted at the time yeah. about this. Um, so this became a really big scandal. Now, one of the interesting things is this kind of methodology that they deployed. And that is, I think, um, where a lot of people haven't quite understood the method because a lot of academics and and people within the field um said well these methods don't even work very well okay um and i think i think i was one of those people right like acknowledging <laughs> that they stole acknowledging they stole a crap ton of data that they shouldn't have been able to harvest well, from people yeah. but then it's like there's no magic machine to like put that in to have it spit out like you know so hologram yeah. star trek like you know simulations well, yeah, of life. this whole kind of brainwashing thing that people get worried about i think that takes it too far okay um mm. nobody is saying that everybody is completely controlled okay and that you know by seeing an ad that automatically means you believe what it says of course that's not true it's far more sophisticated than that but one of the things that was frequently said is that their method just wasn't effective but what i found in my research was actually that um it wasn't effective for a lot of things so for if you want mm. to um target people with ads to sell dog food it's probably not going to help very much but with certain aspects of their work. So for instance, um, the kind of conspiracy driven campaigns, it was particularly effective on neurotics. They were doing experiments on hundreds of thousands of Americans um, who were, were categorized as neurotic in their data set, targeting right. them with hate and, and fear driven messaging. So I would distinguish that from, for example, what Obama did um, in those campaigns. Right. And that's the key thing, because if you are realizing that actually these, this particular subset of people are particularly likely to be motivated by fear and motivated to action, then that kind of has a, a really disturbing potential, particularly when you see um, uh, us, us evolving into an era of um, pandemic and of incitement to um, insurrections and 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 you know the campaigns that have been you know um, advantaged during this kind of period have been um, really concerning conspiracy theories about QAnon and COVID. 
And the worry is um, that we've also seen a rise in mental health issues during this period, okay? Um, if you look at another film that I worked on last year called um, People You May Know, I, I was assisting with, um, uh, along with the lead researcher, Brent Allpress, uh, who's from Australia. Um, it, it emerged in the film that um, a company was working with Cambridge Analytica called Glue, who do um, religious apps, essentially for Christian uh pastors to um, send out communications to their um, congregations, but for, for all sorts of purposes, perfectly legitimate. But the data was being misused and repurposed for political targeting. Now, that's important because within the app, there were categories such as depression and anxiety. And the kinds of services that the churches were providing included support mm. for um, grief counseling, for um, financial counseling, for um, uh, all sorts of you know, relationship help. And so all of the data was being modeled on, on kind of um, mental health support, uh, addictions even. And to see that this was being repurposed for political purposes and during this same period as we're building up to you know violent incidents in the capital as well as the you know the pandemic that we've all been going through where everybody has been pushed online more and more and we have mm -hmm. been you know also just going through an inevitable you know in increasingly traumatic experience okay and needing these apps more and more and also you know like just being online and being you know we're struggling with our mental health there was a massive spike in in um you know m mental people self-declaring mental health yeah. problems to the cdc for example in this period so my worry is the way in which mental health can be weaponized within information warfare nowadays it's not just about Cambridge Analytica. There are actual data sets on the dark web where you can just get people's, uh, you know, data about mental health. So this is one of the things I find most troubling. Um, and I think the implications are really serious because if you have a, a list that you have put together through your own data gathering, and then you can just literally give it to Facebook, they don't know who's on that list, why they're on that list. They don't know anything about your data gathering purposes and they can target that audience and find other lookalike audiences. So right. the, you know, the lack of scrutiny over that process is really troubling. It, it may not even be mental health. It might be a list of white nationalists. It might be, how does Facebook know? They don't. They have no way of knowing how a list has been. They killed. don't. They don't, and increasingly it seems like though that we're pushing the solution on them, a private company, which they seem happy to provide, you know, yeah. to some obviously worryingly bad extent. But it occurred to me, and I'd love to hear from you what you think about it, listening to Mark Zuckerberg's statement where he was sort of like, <laughs> but we've made things better. And one of the ways we made things better was that we have taken, um, 
you know, less sort of group and large think, and sort of you can imagine the things that people thought Russia was pushing, these kind of sort of big, like, viral stories. Uh, and instead, you see things from your friends and family. Mm -hmm. um, can you say from an academic perspective, because I know from a political perspective, we think that hearing messages from your friends and family is a much stickier way to hear them. You know, we call this peer-to-peer -peer organizing, uh, and it's the most coveted uh, thing you can do. You know, it's, it's actually the creme de la creme of communications. Yeah. Um, so aren't we kind of, in a way, driving the conspiracy deeper with what uh, Zuckerberg thinks of as somehow a solution? Or just, you know, explain that in a better way. Uh, uh. Um, well, I agree with you that ads are not necessarily the most powerful thing. Um, I think what these tools have done is really enable, I mean, the whole idea of a social network was something that also the, um, the Nazis used and the Soviet Union used. Uh, they built these kinds of networks where everybody would be essentially monitoring each other and they essentially weaponized that. Um, and we're doing a similar thing in an electronic environment. It's the constant watching and getting people to act in order to, you know, like monetize that behavior. I mean, it's, it's now within a corporate model, but it's a similar kind of model. Um, and the nature... I mean, you, I think we sh you should, should also ascribe that to sort of corporations and the church. And, uh, you know, I think some, yeah. you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just singling out Nazis in the Soviets sometimes <laughs> is, you know... Yeah, absolutely. But, like, the, I mean, obviously, t yeah, the, the ways in which it was... Self-surveillance is a hell of a drug, yes. right? Like, it just is. It really is. And I think it's, um, it's also raising new authorities, which is a really interesting thing. So the nature of social media is that we form these groups rather than having traditional authority structures um, with traditional media that was more top-down and centralized. And, you know, I mean, okay, yes, those those kind of media still exist and very much online as well um, and are powerful but you can also establish new networks and new communities that have their own authority figures and that is the real sticky problem when it comes to COVID-19 because new authorities are being arisen within this and they can be very very powerful you see also within the QAnon communities new authorities like so for instance um drawing on traditional culture so so for instance the uh, status of the military um you see these people who've been radicalized and are then leading their own community and network that's quite isolated from wider traditional you know ways of, of bestowing authority on those figures mm -hmm. so you you end up with really very powerful individuals le leading these debates we saw um in, in really interesting reporting of of the um you know the, the fact that there were literally 12 individuals that were responsible for the vast majority of covid19 propaganda um and you also see the same kind of methods being used. So somebody from Cambridge Analytica, their uh, um, psychologist was um, involved in uh, something called Heart Group, an organization called Heart uh, that has been organizing a lot of the, um, uh, you know, anti-vax resistance kind of mm -hmm. movement. And um, recently, like, chats were revealed um, 
which showed he's been kind of involved in the types of, of methods he was proposing, which were exactly the same kind of thing that I'm talking about. Like he was talking about how um, the they would be, you know, targeting neurotics with fear-driven messaging. So it's the same kind of thing. And that's really, really very disturbing to see. Um, this, ha you know, they haven't even changed those methodologies. And you can do the same thing. You know, it doesn't even have to be the Facebook ads that we saw in 2016. It could be other forms of media. Um, so I, I think the worry is that, um, you know, emerging data sort of shows that um, when it comes to getting people to take the vaccine and wear masks, fear isn't driving them to do that. Their fear of COVID doesn't seem to create um, a movement to actually get vaccinated among new new people who are hesitant. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the fear um, that is sort of seated in this kind of um, anti-government um, individualism um, really does, you know, morph into kind of a paranoia around uh, anti-vax. I mean, I will say uh, from my perspective in Europe, where I think a lot of Americans sort of would be surprised to know that anti-vaxxers come in as large numbers, if not greater numbers, uh, especially in Northern Europe, in, you know, whether it's Holland uh, or, um, or Germany, uh, that like a lot of these places are real hotbeds for a lot of this uh, anti-vax anti stuff. And it is somehow embroiled in, a, in an individual. It's the same reason austerity is what they like up there. It's actually all part of, I think, the same thing. And there's another thing there, and I wanted to pivot to it and ask you about it, uh, something else that, that you have worked on, which is I think people in America, you know, we are wrapped up in our own kind of, you know, racist Beach Boy song we have going on, and the rest of the world is wrapped up in it too, right? Yeah. When George Floyd happens, you protest that in Minneapolis, and you protest George Floyd in Brussels for some reason, right? Yeah. You don't actually find like the local racist thing that's going on. You do the American one, and sort of the most permissive racism and there's a lot, but the most permissive racism in Europe is definitely anti-migrant. Uh, you know, to the extent that now, as I'm looking at polling, almost every center-left party has two factions, one of which is like explicitly anti-migrant. And you have a place like Denmark where the Social Democrats have a zero-tolerance policy. Like, you know, um, yeah. you did a lot of work about the language around uh, migration, the way people talk about migrants and immigrants. Yeah. And I would love it if you could talk about some of that, because it's actually something sure. that we work on a lot here so at Committee. Was, um, you know, we're always trying to... This was anyway, I'll say what we're trying to do later. You tell okay, me. Okay, sure. I mean, I'm really actually keen to hear what you're doing as well on this because it's such an important issue. Um, this was one of the first projects I did um, after I finished my PhD. Um, I published a book called Bad News for Refugees uh, with my... Um, uh, my PhD supervisor, Greg Philo, and uh, a colleague, uh, Pauline Donald. And what we did was look at... Um, oh, wow, you're a doctor twice. You're a doctor, doctor, and a doctor, doctor. I get it. That's amazing. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Just a, one doctor. <laughs> but, yeah. um, no, you're being modest. Um, okay. So what we did was we looked at um, how the media were talking about migration, and especially refugees, in the build-up to what then emerged as as the um, uh, refugee crisis um, and of course ended up 
with Brexit. So we we kind of had um, anticipated, uh, you know, what was going on in this really important moment. And we looked at the media coverage and we were horrified at what we were seeing, okay? Um, and this had really been a, an emerging trend for quite some time in mainstream media. It, you know, obviously there were um, the, the attention in 2016 with the Brexit vote um, was all around the um, the kind of extremist um, campaigns that we saw on social media. But that environment had been prepared for a very long time. And actually, it was um, very much leading out of the war on terror. Uh, in 2002, there was a crackdown, and that was during Tony Blair's administration, uh, on... Um, uh, on asylum seeking because there were so many people mm -hmm. coming from Afghanistan who were, you know, seeking refuge in the UK. Uh, and the far right were, you know, brewing their, you know, what turned into a really uh, concerning campaign. They were really emboldened by the fact that actually Tony Blair ended up, um, you know, introducing measures that. Um, massively capped and restricted the number of refugees that could come into the country to a point where it was really unequal the number of you know refugees we were taking in Britain than you know Germany and other European uh, democracies um, so we had capacity and we were not you know fulfilling responsibilities per head of population it was a tiny number we were taking in um, and the capitulation to that far-right argument and you know i mean even if you you have a, a reasoned debate around like how many you take in and you know what is um you know possible to absorb um and and manage um you you still need to actually deal with the far-right framing. And the problem is that we were not addressing that. And the media were quite scared, I think, of, of the um, argument that there's this kind of um, unheard um, silent majority um, who are not, you know, not having a voice, which, of course, was, was rubbish. Um, but it meant that these uh, far-right groups were able to really take hold, and they were given way disproportionate airtime on the BBC, mm -hmm. for instance, and that really helped UKIP to rise. We saw, you know, an expansion in, you know, like up to, to about 2013, where they were getting really concerning. And then, of course, you have David Cameron um, announced that he would appease the right of his party by, um, you know, announcing the Brexit referendum that we would have. Thank you, Jim Messina. Yeah, expecting that it would all go, you know, um, to, to remain. Swimmingly. Um, but the, the narratives really, you know, were amplified. And I think the problem that we saw is in exactly what you say, is in the communication around migration, because uh, the language that the right uses conflates all these different groups together. Um, so illegal migration um, becomes the term that is applied to literally every category um, in order to create these gigantic numbers 
or that have been, you know, every group is added together in order to make it look like it's a huge number coming in. Um, when, you know, as I said, you know, a lot of these people coming in were refugees from the war on terror. There's also an amplification of extreme cases. So you see debates around, you know, one person who, who was a, you know, homegrown terrorist. Um, uh, and those are used as a, a weapon to try to, you know, argue for deportations and really strict measures that make it a hostile environment for migrants in the UK. And these are tactics that are used everywhere. It's not just Britain, it's all across Europe. And all these groups are learning mm -hmm. from each other. That is the scary thing. They have perfected the technique. And we now have an infrastructure online that where you can, you know, as, as we've been saying, you know, fear can be very easily amplified um, and rational arguments about, you know, migration are not so easily um, distributed and, and they're just not as engaging with a lot of audiences. Now, it's also some good old fashioned media know how, right? Yeah. It's the Rupert Murdoch kind of stuff of the world, too, because I will say, especially uh, uh, and I'm assuming the UK is like this a bit, but I'm working a lot in Italy, you know. Okay. Uh, where you do have sort of Salvini, who's, you know, yes. master at hating on migrants, <laughs> just like, yes. really, you know, just one of the greats. Uh, and, it, you know, and you take a place like uh, an election we're working in Emilia Romagna, where their main argument was about a crime that a migrant had uh, had committed, yeah. right? This is, Emilia Romagna doesn't just have a low crime rate for Italy, it has a low crime rate for Europe. I think it actually might have the lowest crime rate in all of Europe, which is saying something, right? You can lie down with like a hundred dollar bill sticking out of your mouth and nothing will happen to you. Uh, but yet, sort of, you know, uh, a one kind of thing will just get played so endlessly on television that if you're an older person who is wired into that, that's what you're consuming. Yes. You know, every hour, more investigations, and it's this thing. Terrifying. You know? It really becomes terrifying for people who have maybe have very limited actual experience with migrants. And the you know, and, and, and it, it, it really is terrifying also for migrant communities. So we did interviews with refugees who, you know, one of them told me that they were too scared to answer the door. Um, you know, these are people who've already been traumatized and the media coverage, you know, is further traumatizing to them. Now, it also makes it difficult for us to actually deploy resources when we do bring in migrants. You know, it's it's reasonable to say, you know, we need to have a debate around mental health and, you know, the fact that people may have PTSD because they may have been tortured, for example, if they're coming in as a refugee. And you need to have resources there, um, you know, in order to, you know, help them to be, be a part of the society and support them. And, you know, by using these horrifying attacks, it reduces the ability to actually talk about real problems um, as they become weaponized against the groups concerned. So it's a really toxic environment for, you know, uh, for migrants at the moment, and it's becoming worse. I mean, as we look to the future, we've got climate change ahead of us. Yeah. I mean, not even ahead of us, it's now. 
Um, no, no, no. We're yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be really bad. Even in a year, I'm quite scared about what we're gonna be seeing. Look at what was in Germany, and you know, I mean, it's all around the world now. I would say look at Lebanon, right? Which is a country that had just sort of yeah. simultaneously is having a climate political crisis, and then one little accident pushes you over the edge yeah. into like basically being a failed state, and, uh, and which is by design, you know, but cover migrant you know it, it doesn't cover um uh climate refugees okay so we need well, to I, start yeah. thinking about that uh because these people are also being you know fleeing you know something that is incredibly you know difficult um for reasons you know that are not they're making and you know humanitarian catastrophes are really important to respond to so how we then you know through the UN and and um, through you know specific government's policies create an environment where we can respond to those kinds of crises is really really important we need to have a rising debate about how we respond to migration because this is going to be something that is weaponized further and further by the far right and I, I'm really worried about the effect of that well, well, how does, and I can tell you how we're trying in Italy, but I think it's very different in Good. the U.S. Yeah, please do. How does, how does the, how are the Democrats talking about this? We've seen a lot of, I think, extremely valid criticism <laughs> of the Biden-Harris administration as continuing a lot of Trump's policies on the border in actuality, whether that is detention yes. centers, you know. Horses. I mean, we saw a bit about horses. Is but is the, is the language different and does that matter? different to the Trump campaign? Yes, of course. I mean, the last <laughs> the last four years... But different to what you think it needs to be. In <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like good it's enough, now. though. And uh, the problem is they're not... They're not convincing people. You know, I, I talk to Democrats. I know liberals over here who, yes, agree with me entirely on all of this analysis, but um, they see it as unrealistic to push the green arguments. And they think, you know, if you don't moderate that around conservatives and sort of, you know, mediate that, um, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of Americans, you know, not the majority, but like, it's actually a fairly conservative country. Okay, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they, they believe that then you're just not going to persuade people with those arguments. And so you almost need to just enact the policies and not talk about it almost and you know campaigning on and let the world not be destroyed be like this is what we're doing yeah, but if you don't talk oh look about it's been five years it's okay and then people <laughs> if you might don't be like, talk yeah, about okay. these issues you're not going to get there and like we really need to convince people somehow and it's really difficult making them you know personally understandable they are you know complex narratives that are um there's not like an, an an authentic character story that is close to me. You know, you need to personalize it for people. And while you, I mean, we did see all the floods and we saw that, you know, I mean, I still think a lot of media is not talking about it as climate related. And Democrats yeah. are not. No, it just feels like a disaster. It's yes. like, oh, maybe it rained a lot. Who knows? You know, random like, disaster. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, especially yeah, yeah. with conservatives, they are not getting the message at all through their media at all. 
Um, and that's the only media they're consuming. We know that. Yeah. So how the hell do you get... Even in Germany, party? this hurt the CDU, but then it didn't help the Green Party. It actually... Yeah, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. So what are you uh, doing but the thing, You're saying how complex it is. Yeah. I do think there the, the complexities are maybe where the hope is because you take you do take a place like Italy, and I'll say two pieces of messaging that work idiosyncratically well there that wouldn't in the UK or the US, but you just got to find your thing, is that one... Uh, you have a lot of immigration pressure on young people in Italy, right? And regionally in the U.S., you have it's like you know the same reason someone wants to come in from Libya is the same reason that your kid wants to move to Milan, yeah. uh, you know, from Naples. And you're like, oh yeah, I see that. Uh, but then the other one is reverse psychology of the fact that Italy is not the final destination that someone coming from Africa, you know, or the Middle East wants to stay. And so, you know, we were sort of playing around with messaging around, you know, a migrant being like, yeah, it's nice. I'm here in Rome now, but I really want to start my business in Amsterdam. (laughs) And it's like, the crap you do, what's the matter with Italy? You're going to stay right here. You know, it's sort of, it's, and so there are sort of ways to sort of like tickle patriotism in the right way rather than the wrong way. But I do think, like you say, it's, it's specific, it's idiosyncratic and it's, and you have to actually get into the mechanics. Well, one of the disturbing things we've seen in Britain is the um, home office uh, put up a fake website for, um, you know, not saying it's the home office, um, saying, you know, basically telling uh, refugees that were coming to not come and, you know, how hard it's going to be for them. But this was made yeah. to look like Kamala Harris said that too, an information too. resource for migrants that's like nice and for them and helpful, you know. And it was just horrifying, you know, fakery and disinformation. So, you know, the fact that our government is like putting out this kind of like disinformation campaign targeting the most vulnerable people in the world, okay, gives me no hope (laughs) for the UK in in how we're going to be addressing this. You know, I I mean, I'm I'm horrified. I really am. You know, Um, we need to be like holding them accountable and demanding that they, you know, um, consider human rights, you know, as they are putting together these kinds of um, responses. It's absolutely not good enough. And the fact that, you know, they're so nervous about you know, the fact that we had Brexit and so on, um, is, is, is just, you know, not good enough. Like the, the, the Labour Party, I think, is worried about its right hand side and is um, not pushing the arguments enough either because they want the people who voted for Brexit too. Because someone told them that the Red Wall is racist. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a really... Which is some patronizing anti-working class shit to begin yeah. with. Let's be absolutely So, so how clear. do you address these yeah. issues? Now, the majority of Labour supporters don't think that way, yeah? Um, so, you know, but, but, but that doesn't matter because Tony Blair has told us that we need to be thinking about the Conservatives and winning back votes. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, but I think that's really impacting the amount that we can, you know, we are actually saying on this subject and the challenge that is being made. We did not make enough of, of the uh, failures of, of the far right and the um, conservative party on Brexit. And look, look what 
Boris Johnson has done. He's completely destroyed the country. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're in a little a massive economic crisis now because of Brexit. Um, I hope the rest of Europe is is watching. You know, <laughs> it's just a correction. It's the normal correction that happens when you you know are superheating your economy. I listened to Boris Johnson's speech. I know, I know, I know what's happening. I know it's hilarious. Oh. It's comedy. It's you know, I, I'm seeing you know. Uh, comedians are, are struggling now because it's um there's just what do you do with this you know it's 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 too you know incredible already in the reality of the of what we're living and yet the polls have been so kind uh not just to the Tories but to Boris Johnson oh, God, specifically that you uh, that I would say I can't imagine them feeling the need to change their message other than just sort of saying level up every couple of minutes at all. Well, I don't think we anticipate you know, that at all. And I think it's on itself. labor It's on labor to decide if they want to be Tory light on these issues or if they want to actually stand up for something. Well, at the moment, they're too busy still fighting amongst themselves and, and trying to Kicking Ken Loach out of the, party. the left. So I'm like, you know, um, you know, if that's your real focus, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, just can't people just get along? And I mean, I have my criticisms for the left there too. That's, the, you know, there are problems with, with, with lefties, you know, not, not willing to, you know, uh, bury the hatchet if you like. But, you know, I mean, the, the mainstream party has to acknowledge that the left is a broad ship and, and include people. I mean, I, what did he just say? Keir Starmer said something about we need to attack the causes of crime as well as crime or something. I mean, a lot of this is, 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 I mean, it, it, in terms of the work that you do, right. is just going down the wrong path into the, using the language of oh, the, right. the opponent. Yeah. Absolutely. Worse and than they do. It's self-destruct. It really is. I think that, you know, we're going up to the, the next election. I'm just really, I don't want to say anything negative, but like I really am worried about where we're headed because, you know, we're not doing enough to uh, point the finger at the Tories. I mean, we have so much ammunition to, to hit them with. Right. I mean, they, all, they should be, you know. It's shocking. No, the fact that the polls haven't moved is actually shocking it really and, is and incredible. it's super worrying. It really is incredible. There, it, it, there is better hope for a lot of uh, these issues to move faster on the continent. Yep. Where, uh, as we discussed, Salvini you know, uh, is on trial for not letting a migrant boat uh, land. And we will see if the national mood of Italy is enough that instead of being a potential prime minister, he's actually somebody who's punished for that. Uh, when that happens, we'll have to bring you on so we can talk about uh, how the Italian press is talking about this. And then we also have more time. I wanted to bring you in uh, to do a more serious, you know, uh, medical therapy session. I can tell you I'm not sleeping well. <laughs> I'm not that I think some of that, that might be the, some of that, uh, you're, yeah. You're being very modest about, about you being a doctor. Uh, so, but it's okay. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on, and we are going to see a lot more of you in episodes fun. to come. Nice talking with and you. And we are not going to be featuring your dog. Committee, we're young, we're submitting, we're committing.